Glad you're here. We're at the end of a series about parenting. It's the parenting series. Uh, we really spent a lot of time figuring out the name. We thought we'd call it the parenting series. And so today we're talking about releasing your kids. Uh, around August every year, I, I sort of think about investing in Kleenex because this scene happens over and over again. And it's the scene of sending your kid off to college and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And now some parents take it better than others. Uh, so there might be, you know, this. But um, releasing your kids is difficult. Now, uh, understand my heritage a little bit. I'm from Kentucky. I'm from Danville, Kentucky, which is in Boyle County. My mama was born in Garrett County. Kelly, you're going to know all this. Uh, my mama was born in Garrett County. And she moved one county over uh, to Boyle County. And she lived that place all of her life. My daddy lived in Casey County. He was born uh, over in Yosemite, not to be confused with Yosemite, uh, Yosemite, Casey County, and he moved to Boyle County, and they lived in Boyle County all their lives, and my sisters still live in Boyle County, and I married a girl from Switzerland because everybody around there is a cousin. Uh, that's how it works. <laughs> so for me to go away, and I went far, far away, was quite a difficult thing, and I remember the, the day... I went off knowing my calling. Now, I had gone to college and come back and lived in Boyle County for a little bit and helped my dad start a muffler shop and that sort of thing. But the day I knew that I was leaving and probably leaving for good, I got in my car and I packed up and I was going off to college and then I was going to go to seminary. And, and really, at the time, I thought I was going to be a foreign missionary. So I wasn't just going to leave the county. I was going to leave the country, at least in theory, and was willing to do that. And I remember getting in my car, and I, I can see it in my mind's eye today. There was my mom and dad, and, and they hugged me, and they were crying. I mean, it wasn't just really crying. It was really, really crying. And I backed out of the driveway there on Perilville Road, and I drove off. And I did okay getting out of the car, getting out of the, the driveway. And I drove about two or three miles, and I had to pull over because I couldn't see because I was crying so hard. It is difficult not only to release your kids, it's difficult to be released. And I knew in my spirit that I wasn't coming back when I left. And it is a difficult thing to let your children go. Maybe the one, one of the more difficult things we have to deal with in life. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to look at a couple uh, from 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles or you want to find it on your phone, 1 Samuel is where we're going to be, chapter 1. And there's a, a couple. The guy's name is Elkanah. His wife's name is Hannah. They have a son named Samuel. And they release Samuel in a way that's quite uncommon. And really, preparation is key. You have to be ready for this event because it's coming, or at least it should be coming in your life someday. One of the saddest things I ever experienced as a pastor is, is a young adult who's, who's never learned to be an adult. Nobody's ever taught them how to live on their own. And it's important for us to help them know what to do when they get old enough to leave. Um, I just went through a wedding last year with my daughter. If you are the father of a daughter who has been preparing for a wedding, you know there's a lot of preparation that goes into a wedding. First and foremost, as a bride, you have to find a groom. Once you get that little, that's a kind of a major hurdle, but once you get that hurdle done, it's not over with because there's a lot of other stuff. Uh, you got to find a venue. That's a big, big thing. you got to set a date because you can't have a date like when there's a football game. So you got to make sure there's not a big game on or that kind of thing. Some of y'all ignore that, and that's really bad, by the way. But yes, you have, to, you have to know the date. You have to have a venue. Uh, you have to pick a pastor. Then you have to prepare the service. You plan the service. 
And you all might not know this, but the music is key because there's groom's people walking in music. There's bride and daddy walking in music. There's groom's people walking out music. And there's bride and groom walking out music. Y'all know that? It's true. You've got to have four different musics uh, for, for all that. You've got to have different music. Um, you have to plan the reception. You might want a DJ, so you have to figure that out. You've got to get a stylist for your hair. You've got to figure out who's going to be your bridesmaids. Some people don't know where to stop. Uh, I, I was at one wedding. I did one wedding, and I think she had nine bridesmaids, and he couldn't keep up. He only got seven groomsmen because he only had seven friends, and one of those guys didn't even know him. Uh, but uh, you have to have a maid of honor, a groomsman, best man, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is one of my cousins. They, they picked this uh, as their wedding attire. Yeah, so they went with that. That's pretty good. You got to figure out flower arrangements and all that sort of stuff. My niece got married back in Kentucky. My niece, um, she and my sister prepared for 14 months for her wedding. My daddy, who was funny, my dad sat him down one time and said, uh, girls, uh, there have been countries that have gone to war with less preparation than this, this wedding is taken. And, and you just have to be prepared. And so, when you have kids, you have to prepare. There's going to be a time. Here's what's sad about weddings sometimes. People spend more time preparing for the wedding ceremony than they do the marriage. And if we're not careful as parents, we'll spend more time worried about keeping our kids little or protecting them rather than preparing them. And I understand the need for protection, and I get it, but protecting them doesn't always prepare them. And we've got to prepare our kids for what's next, because there's going to be a day when you're not around. I had a heart attack at 40 years old. There's going to be a day, someday, where I'm not around, and I want my children to be prepared. So, if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 1, this is what we see. There was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim. That's kind of a region. He was from this area whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. That's really important. By the way, uh, we're not promoting pol polygamy here. Uh, it's just kind of how it was back then. I had a buddy who said he would never want to be uh, have more than one wife because disappointing one woman at a time was all he could stand. So uh, uh, really, that, that's kind of we're not for that. It's just the way it was. Now, this was in a time and a place where a woman's um, her reputation, her value was determined by how many children she had. Didn't make it right. Again, polygamy not right, but that's just the way it was. And when you are Hannah and you have no children and your other husband's wife has children, you can imagine what that did to her spirit and her soul. And so this is the situation we find Hannah in. Now, she's going to pray and good things are going to happen, but let's start to unpack what do you do to release your kids, because Hannah prepared early. Number one, you have to be devoted parents. Now you're saying, well, duh, I'm not talking about, though, devoted to your kids. I'm talking about devoted to the Lord. Your children need to understand, this is foundational, your children need to understand your relationship with the Lord is more important even than your relationship to them. You, you love them to death, but your relationship to the Lord has to be Preeminent. Jesus said something that is, that is quite poignant when he said this. Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me 
is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his sons or daughters more than me is not worthy of me. We, we have to determine, if we're going to be Christ followers in the ultimate sense, that we are going to put the Lord above anything. Now, we've already discussed in this series that uh, a Christian marriage is, is, um, is marriage-centric, not ch- child-centric. And these words sort of really offend an American ear because we've elevated children to an idolic state sometimes. So we have to teach them, hey, we love you, we love you, but we love the Lord more than anything else. So how did Elkanah and Hannah uh, teach their kids about, hey, this is, we're going to show, we're going to express our love for the Lord. Well, let's talk about it. One, they worshipped regularly. Now, you're, I'm going to read this verse and you're going to go, whoop-de-doo, and, but I'll explain it in just a second. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty. And you're probably saying, well, whoop-de-doo, I go more than once a year. Uh, I go at least Easter and Christmas. I mean, I, I'm at least twice a year, so I'm doing better than this guy. Well, this was a special time that they would go from their hometown to Jerusalem, or to Shiloh in this case. They would go to where the temple was, and, and it was a big deal. And they had three of these a year, and evidently Elkanah would take his family to these big worship events three times a year. That doesn't include his weekly Sabbath. This was just three times a year he would go to something that was quite big. And he wanted his kids to know, hey, I, worshiping God is part of who we are. I've heard parents say to me, I don't want to force my child uh, to church. I don't want to make them go to church. When you find something good, something that benefits you, it's just natural to share it, especially with people you love. Let me give you an example. If you were to drive home today, and right where your home is, you turn the corner, and there's a gas station there, and at that gas station, they're selling gas for a dollar a gallon, You'd pull over. No matter how much gas you have, you'd pull over. If I found that, the first thing, person I would call would be my wife. I might not call anybody else, but I'd call my wife because good news is, re- is for sharing. By the way, if you find that, the Lord would want you to call your pastor. Uh, absolutely. That's in Exodus. Uh, so you're going to want to do that. But look, good news is for sharing. And if the Lord has meant something to you, has affected positively your life, You're going to want to share that with your kids. So he worshipped and he took his kids with him. But not only that, he also financially supported the church. Look what it says. This is cool. Watch how he does it. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, really the man was the one in these families in this time to to offer the sacrifices. Uh, when When the day came for him to offer the sacrifice, when he went to Shiloh, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah and all her sons and daughters, he wanted to make sure the kids felt what it was like to give. Now, uh, my wife and I have are tithers. We've always been tithers, mostly because our parents taught us to tithe. And, and if you're not there yet, no judgment. I'm just telling you why we do it. When I was, um, I believe my first lawn mowing job, I was about 10 years old, maybe 11. And... Uh, I, I can remember the, the guy, I, I mowed Mr. Thomas's yard. Uh, he had a lawn boy. It didn't take very long. I got $8. He paid me $8 to mow the yard. And I brought my $8 home, and I showed my dad, and daddy said, okay, tomorrow at church, we're going to give 80 cents to church. And I thought to myself, what does the church need with my 80 cents? And it wasn't so much that, but daddy was teaching me this is what we do. 
okay. So I've never really not tithed because it's kind of been who I was ever since I was little. Now, Miriam and I, it was easy for me and for, for our family, Miriam and my family, to, to tithe because she, was growing, she grew up the same way. She was trained the same way. Now, about 20 years ago, we had something revolutionary happen in our lives. The Bible talks about tithes and offerings, and we are always good with tithing. But sometimes there would be things we want to give to, we didn't have extra to give to. So we started putting back even a little more money. That's just us, just what we did. And we kept back, we probably keep back about 5%. And that's, we kind of have, we call it our missions offering fund. And so we kind of have this sort of pool of money that we sort of keep. And, and if we see something that, like uh, we sent uh, missionaries to, uh, to go to Salt Lake City this last year. So we'll give to something like that. Uh, we'll give to uh, Samaritan's Purse. Uh, we'll, we'll give to things like that because when we see the need, now we have a little pool of money to draw from. And that has been revolutionary for us because it's nice. There is something amazing about being generous. And here's what I've learned. I'm an old man. I know a couple of things. You cannot outgive God because he's better at it than you are. I have never outgiven him because he's better at it than we are. I, I, every time I give, there's like, I get, God just keeps giving me. By the way, some of you all have given us gifts for uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and thank you so much for that. And sometimes they're anonymous, and we don't know who to thank. And, and I, if you gave something, thank you so much. Uh, if you haven't, there's still time. Uh, so uh, I'm, t- I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We've gotten plenty. It's good. Um, however, uh, we do have a couple of pastors that we support in Salt Lake City. I suspect those guys don't know what that is, what Pastor Appreciation Month is. Um, if you would like to do something for them, I feel compelled to do something for both those guys. Uh, one guy's name is Brian Catherman. Again, that's hard, hard ground to plow. The other guy's name is Brad Dorman. And, and if you want to give something to those guys, give it to me, and I'll, I'll make sure they get it, because I think that would be super nice, and I'm planning on giving something, Miriam and I are. So if, you, if you're inclined to do that, you should do that. But God just gives. When we, I'm glad my daddy taught me how to be generous. Um, it helped me know what to do with it's dangerous to hold on to stuff too much. So when I tithe, it teaches me something. Let me show you a couple things here. It teaches me that God deserves my best. It reminds me that God, everything I have is because of the Lord. Um, it teaches me to trust Him to provide in the future. So I'm going to give because I believe He'll continue to give to me. He's always done that. There's no reason for me not to believe it. it it's in obedience. I do it in obedience. And it gets the focus off of material things. When I was a young, young, young in ministry, we had a guy come over to our house. He wanted me to sell, um, to be a multi-level marketing guy. Um, I won't tell you the product, but it rhymes with Gamway. Uh, okay, I'm not going to tell you what it was. Rhymes with Gamway. Anyway, um, so he came in, he was making the pitch at the kitchen table. It was before we had kids and all that. And he said, uh, Joseph... What do you want most in life? And I thought in my mind, I didn't say it, but I thought, I'd like you to leave. Uh, number one, I'd like you to be gone. It's like, what, what, what thing do you want? And we were horrible because we didn't really want anything. We didn't have anything, but we didn't really care. And it's like, I don't, I don't really want anything. Don't you want a new car? Well, no, the car I've got works, and, and, I, and it's paid for. That's what's nice. So he kept saying, he kept trying to get us to come up with something that we could, could make our goal. And, and what he wanted us to do is, he, he, was gonna, he said, all right, what, you, what I want you to do, you get a picture like, like of a boat, 
a big boat. And, and if you want this big boat, you put that picture on your fridge, and every morning when you get up, that becomes your goal. <laughs> and I said, dude, let me ask, let me tell you something. I'm a preacher. When I walk up to somebody, I don't want them to wonder if I'm selling them something or if I'm going to be their preacher. I'm not doing this. But thank you for coming. Uh, I'll see you at church. You know, uh, I, I never want you to wonder if I'm here to sell you something. Or, <laughs> look, stuff really isn't that important. It, let me be the, the Gamway salesman just for a second. If money was no object, what would you want? A big car, a, a new car, a, um, a, a new house, a, a lake house, a, you know, a, a mountain cabin, a beach house. I mean, what would you want? Would you want, uh, there, there's something called an a, a UHD LED TV. It comes in 82 inches. Just imagine how big that would be. Coach, where are you? Wouldn't you love to watch some football on an 82-inch UHD HUV LOCB? Uh, I'd love that. I don't even know what it means, but I think I'd like it. They're, they like come out and tackle you. You are part of the action. You'd like that. Everybody like that. I mean, so there's been research done on this of how much adults get that they want. Like you have these dreams. And the statistic is about 25%. What we want and what we actually acquire, if you get 25%, you're doing pretty good, actually. Now, for kids, interestingly enough. The statistic is that parents tend to give them about 75% of what they want. That is really just not reality. Santa and God don't do that good. I mean, that's really, really over the top. And Jesus taught us this, and this is a really important lesson. Real life is not measured by how much we own. It's not about stuff. One psychologist writes this. I think it's brilliant. This generation does a wonderful job of sharing their standard of living with their children and a miserable job of endowing their children with the skills they'll need to achieve that standard on their own. Kids need to hear the word no occasionally. When I was 16 years old, I got my first job. I was thinking about how amazing this was. Kelly, do you remember the Hub Frankel? Yeah, in downtown Danville, the Hub Frankel, they were revolutionary. My friend Kelly's here. She used to live in Danville, and so I'm happy. Uh, uh, Hub Frankel, 40 years ago, they would deliver packages. Before Amazon was even a, a thought, they were doing this in downtown. And I became their delivery driver. It's a sweet job because it's, it's hardly any work. Uh, you got in a car, you drove packages around, and you waved at girls. I mean, that's all you did. It was just really easy to do. And so I love that job. Um, uh, so... I got my first paycheck, and my daddy sat me at the kitchen table, and he said, Son, here's the deal. From now on, you buy your own gas, and you buy your own clothes, because you're making your own money. Now, that, was, that wasn't the worst thing, because these are the clothes my mama bought me. Uh, that's what it looked like. So I was okay with this whole thing, because this is what it looked like a lot of times. But what this taught me was, hey, you are independent, you you are disciplined. You have some character. And if I wanted to buy my a Commodore's 8-track, I'd have to save up for it. And if I wanted to buy my girl a mood ring, which, by the way, is a great gift for a girl, uh, if you wanted to buy your girl a mood ring, think about that just for a second. It'll come to you. 
a good gift. I'd have to discipline myself. See, the, 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 Lord, the Lord wants us to understand that giving is part of life and that being responsible is part of life. So you teach your kids that. So Elkanah was teaching his kids, hey, we're going to be givers. and We're going to make, but we're also going to give. And then another way they, they exhibited their faith, Hannah was devout in prayer. Remember we, we saw earlier she wasn't able to have children, and this broke her spirit. And she, it says in bitterness of soul. That's pretty strong language. She's broken. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept because that's what you do when your soul is broken. You weep. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she asked God to give her a son, give her a child. And God answered her prayers. And understand, God doesn't always answer our prayers this way, but in this case, he answered her prayers this way. And look at the 20th verse. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And the the word Samuel literally means heard by God. Now, don't you imagine that when Samuel was born, that Hannah probably told him, that he was an answer to prayer because I'd want to know that if I'm Samuel. And I bet Hannah would like to tell him. And I suspect around the dinner table there were some stories around, hey, you know, I prayed for you. God answered that prayer. Let me tell you something about our church real quickly. And I'm just going to ask you to pray about this. Uh, There's a piece of property right behind us. It belongs to the subdivision back there, but it's landlocked, and they can't really build on it. And it would be, I mean, it's right next to us. It's kind of, it would be green space for us. And we found out uh, just this week that they're going to be, their homeowners association is going to be meeting about things, about, home, about that association. And we asked them if we might buy that. Now, we've asked before, and they said no. Uh, but who knows if the timing might not be right. And can I ask that you begin praying about that? In the next couple of weeks, they're going to meet. Will you make that a matter of prayer? Just, hey, Lord, soften their hearts to this idea. And, and we'll see what the Lord does. Again, the Lord does what he wants to, and I'm not guaranteeing that it would happen. But why don't we covenant together that we could pray for that? Would that be all right? Everybody good? Y'all ain't saying nothing. What does that mean? Uh, we don't want that property. Well, yes, we do. Yes, we do. It'd be great for us. But pray about that. I shocked you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shock you. My bad. All right. Um, All right, let's go on. Second thing. Hannah began releasing her son really early on. Let me show you a couple verses. After Samuel was weaned, she, Hannah, took the boy with her, young as he was. By the way, when it gives that expression, it doesn't mean like the day after he was weaned. It just means sometime after. So he was probably 8 to 10, 12 years old when this all happened. But sometime after he was weaned, this boy, 8 or 10 years old, uh, went with her, young as he was, to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. It's one of those trips they would make, 12 miles away, to make this trip. And they brought the boy to Eli, who was the priest. And she said to Eli, I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And she left him in the care of Eli, who then was going to help him grow up and be a priest. She handed over her kids. And again, it kind of goes back to 
the Lord is going to be the most important thing in my life, and I want my children to understand that. And so, Hannah, this was sort of radical, but, you know, honestly, I don't know that we have to help our kids understand there's a time where you have to make it on your own. When I was in high school, I was horrible at math, mostly because I didn't really want to do it. And Mama would, uh, and Daddy would, they would punish me, and they would ground me, and I, I didn't care. I didn't have a social life anyway. You know, I would, uh, did you see how I was dressed? Nobody would go out with me. I didn't have anything to do. Uh, I was sitting at home anyway. And, and, and then all of a sudden, I went to college, and now I'm paying. And when you pay for things, it changes the way you think about them. So now, it's like, okay, if I don't make grades now, I don't get to come back. So I started working a little bit. I started studying. I made A's in math in college where I didn't hardly make B's and C's in high school because it mattered to me. There's a point in your life where something has to be yours. And we release our kids to that. Hey, this has got to be yours. And so we we teach them that about, about life, but also about their faith. This, at some point, has to be yours. And I love, man, Hannah dropped her kid off, 10, 11, 12 years old. She drops him off with Eli, and then this is what she does. She sings this song, My heart rejoices in the Lord. Oh, how the Lord has blessed me. Sometimes we forget that children are a gift. And we are given this responsibility to steward them, but they're the Lord's. And she put into action what was true. She gave him back to the Lord. A long time ago, I prayed for my kids. I got four daughters. And I laid them at his feet and and just said, Lord, these girls are yours. Help me be the best dad they can be so they'll learn to love you the best way they can. So you release them early on. The third thing is you teach them responsibility of work. We we touched on it a second ago. Let's talk about it just a little bit. Then Elkanah and Hannah returned home to Ramah without Samuel. They left him there, and the boy became the Lord's helper, for he assisted Eli, the priest. Look at this. Now Samuel, though only a boy, was the Lord's helper, and he wore a linen tunic just like that of the priest. He was like a little priest. He was a mini-me priest. Uh, Each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him uh, when she would uh, come with her husband for the sacrifice. And before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife because they had given him this little helper. The Bible teaches us that work is to be a part of our lives and we should give our kids chores really early on. Look what the Bible says. My daddy quoted this to me. The two verses, this is one of the two verses my daddy would quote to me all the time. If you don't work, you don't eat. He loved that one, and bad company corrupts good character. He loved those two. Those were his favorites, and it's true. The Bible tells us if you have an ability to work, you ought to work, because if you don't work, you don't eat. The Bible also tells us whatever you do, do it the best you can. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Is working for the Lord, not for men. When when should you start? Well, the Bible says it is good for someone to work hard while he is young. So when they're two or three, you start giving them little chores. They can't do everything, but they can help make up the bed. They can pick up their own toys. You can put little socks on their hands, and they can dust. I mean, let them feel like they're helping. When they get a little older, four or five years old, they can set the table. They can clear the table. At six and eight, they can make the bed. Uh, 
at 9 or 12, they can wash the car. My, my brother-in-law did, uh, made a mistake. He let his son help him wash his new car a little too young. Uh, my nephew was about 6, and he found a brick and thought it was a sponge. That's not good uh, when you're washing a car. When they get to be 13 or more, they can do the laundry or they can mow the yard. There's a lot of things they can do. Look, listen to this statistic. Super important. University of Minnesota did a 20-year study, and they found, listen, the best predictor of adult success, not a good predictor, the best predictor of adult success was based on if they had begun doing chores at an early age, even as young as three or four. William Murphy Jr. of Inc.com writes, a roll-up-your-sleeves-and-pitch-in mindset that says, There's some unpleasant work to be done, and somebody's got to do it, so it might as well be me. That's what gets you ahead in the workplace. Don't you suspect that some of these kids that are entering, uh, going into entry-level jobs, that if you're a manager of them, you know if they've been given chores when they're young or not? Because they know how to work. I've talked about my daddy a lot. Let me give you one more. My daddy used to say to me all the time, he would say, don't make me tell you everything there is to do Look for things that need to be done and do that. Look for things that need to be done and do it. I don't have to tell you it. I, I heard that. I worked for my dad for a long time. That was almost daily for a while. Just find something to do and do it. There's stuff to be done. Do that. Fourthly, let me end with this. Release them wisely. Let me give you a couple of points here. Clearly communicate your expectations. So you say, someday you're going to be on your own. We're trying to prepare you for that. And that's why, you know, uh, my, my wife let the girls help with meals and, and laundry and those kinds of things because someday that was going to be their task and they needed to know how to do it. And uh, even when we fixed cars, I would, I would let them help me a little bit so they would know at least what a tool was. You know, this is what it looks like. You release them completely. You say to them, uh, you know, I, 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 we expect you to be independent. If, if uh, you need a place for a while, you can come back. But really, th- we expect you to be on your own. You stay in frequent communication. My, my wife talks to my kids all the time. I text them about once a week. But, you know, they don't always talk to me, but they talk to their mother. But here's what I remember. My dad, I, one more, I, I, I lied. I got one more dad story. Every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock or 10, I can't remember exactly, but 9 or 10, my dad, every, Saturday morning, every Saturday morning he called me. Every Saturday morning. I knew it was coming. Here's what I love about that. Daddy died on a Wednesday. On Saturday morning, the Saturday morning before that Wednesday, I had told him I loved him when we hung up the phone. I, I appreciate that. I, I still think about that. The last one, you be an encouragement to them. Hey, you're doing a good job out there. Way to go. My mother was here a couple of weeks ago, and we sat on the back porch, and she told me what, what a good sermon it was, and i got to tell you, that meant a lot to me. <laughs> My 86-year-old mama thought I did good. I, that means something to a, pres- to a brother. I mean, that meant something to me. You tell them that they're doing a good job. Now, you might think, okay, well, how did Samuel turn out? Sounds like he's probably a serial killer because uh, uh, his mama uh, kicked him to the curb when he was 10. Uh, not so much. Look what happened. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel did and said was wise and helpful. We sometimes don't give God enough credit for what he wants to do with our kids. 
I'm going to read a story to you. You've probably heard this before, but just play along if you would. It's going to make a point at the end. One evening, a burglar decided that it was time to make his move. He'd been casing a house for several days and determined that that night was the night he was going to break in and steal what they had because he was pretty sure the owners were on vacation. So he crept up to the window. It was on the side of the house behind a bush. Nobody could kind of see him from the road. He'd already determined there were no alarms and that the owner often left that window unlatched. So he eased the window up about six inches. He double-checked to make sure nobody was watching and he carefully began to step in through the window. However, he was startled to hear a voice cry out from inside the house, I see you and Jesus sees you. Well, the burglar didn't know what to do, so he turned around and fled and hid in some bushes and he watched because he knew the police would be arriving at any moment. But that really didn't happen. In fact, what happened most every night, in fact, every night happened that night. Exactly at 8.03, the lights came on. And exactly 11.13, the lights went off, and he was sure it was on a timer. So he didn't really know. Maybe he had heard uh, uh, the radio, or they had left the television on to scare away anybody. So, uh, he silently went back up to the house, and he opened the window just to crack more, and he heard the same message. I see you, and Jesus sees you. And he ran off again. Again, he, was just, he just knew this time the police were going to show up. They didn't show, and he didn't really know what was going on, so he decided he was going to case the joint for one more day. So he sits in his car across the street, kind of watches what's going on, and he concludes there's really nobody there. There's not even a house sitter. Nobody's in there. So that evening, he does his plan again, slides up to uh, the side of the house, opens the window just a little bit more. He uh, starts to crawl in, and he hears the voice, I see you, and Jesus sees you. This time, he fights back fear and he decides to go on in he climbs in one more time he hears the voice i see you and jesus sees you but this time he can determine where it's coming from and he looks over in a darkened corner and he sees a bird cage there and he walks up to the cage and there's this beautiful parrot and he couldn't believe this parrot had given him so much grief and the parrot said one more time i see you and jesus sees you and the burglar says, yeah, right, you stupid parrot. And what's Jesus going to do to me? Just then, the robber, robber noticed a huge Rottweiler emerge from behind the chair. And the robber's heart skipped a beat when the parrot said, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> so the point is, you got to be prepared, but you want Jesus on your side, okay? So... When we're releasing our children, you've got to be prepared, but you want Jesus to help you with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for how much you love us. Thank you that you allow us the opportunity to steward our children. Um, what a gift that you give us. Lord, help us to do it to the best of our ability, but Lord, lay, let us lay our kids at your feet, understanding that you love them far more than we ever could. And as much as we love them, we know you love them more. Help us, Lord, to, to be godly in our parenting. Help us to put you first in all things. And help us, Lord, to lead them well toward you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.